after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Oh, Lord, that we may see you, just you, Jesus. Amen. George? I know you guys are like, that's such a random reading. What in the world? I hope you had a good week. I had the privilege of being here on Tuesday to prepare this message. I was in Acts chapter 9 and 10, and I was saying to the Lord, this doesn't make sense. I'm not sure why I'm in Acts 9 and 10. And um, then we ended up at Matthew 17, and um, we're going to talk about it in a second. But I was here on Tuesday, and um, it was Valentine's Day, for those of you who missed that. My wife invited uh, me to a movie. We got to see a man called Otto. It's great. It's great. Depressing, but encouraging. If you haven't read the book, they're really good books. And I was thinking about Valentine's Day and, and, um, and chocolate and flowers. And hey, if you got engaged this week on Valentine's Day, congratulations for those of you who got engaged. I'm not sure all of us did that, but... Because it, it's a cool thing. You know, I was like, <laughs> this, this person said to me, I, was, I got a big day on Tuesday. I was like, what's going on on Tuesday? It's Valentine's Day. Anyway, when I was upstairs, I saw this picture with the CLC kids sign. And I was reminded of the people who right now are blessing the kids. And up there, yeah, they're encouraging people. And those of you who rotate through and support our kids and become extra aunt and uncles and grandma and grandpas and parents, thank you. God bless you for that. And there's this cool tree that's up there. Randy, would you show them that? And this tree was really good, not just because it was Valentine's Day on Tuesday when I was preparing this message, which I saw this. I love that image of that strength of the trunk and then the branches out and the amount of work that somebody went through. I have no idea. Don't tell me. Who did that with that love? And then show the hearts. The first heart here says this. It says, you know, I love my family, which is fantastic. And then I looked at another heart, because I was reading the hearts, it's Valentine's Day. This one says, I love music, which encouraged you, Josh. And then the last one, which has really encouraged me, it says, I love pancakes. <laughs> and I thought, how great that we have people who are investing in our children, and then on Valentine's Day, take that extra effort um, to do that. So that brought me to the message uh, this morning, because I was reading that passage, you can get rid of pancakes. But we're going to be looking at that just that one simple question this morning. What would you have me to do? 
And um, there's this passage um, this morning. We just heard that when George said, and God says, just like when Jesus was baptized, by the way, this is my son whom I love. With him, I'm well pleased. And so that was kind of that Valentine's connection for me this week, that reminder that we are all loved unconditionally by God, right? That should be the best Valentine's of all. But we do need Valentine's. We need to be reminded of loving those who are around us and be supported and encouraged in that. And, yeah, there was that question that Jesus asked Peter. Do you guys remember the question? It says, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Sorry, Russ. Where am I going to be? My, can I come back here? Do you love me? And that was the question that I kept coming back to. And then I think inside, when Jesus asked Peter that question, and Peter does answer, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I think Peter had that second question that was inside of him, and it might have been this. Jesus, what would you have me to do? Or maybe what should I know? Or what should I do? He doesn't say it out loud, but I think when Jesus asked him that question, do you love me? So that brings us to Transfiguration Sunday. Woohoo! You guys are like, what? Transfiguration Sunday? It's actually part of the church calendar. I ended up at the Common Lectionary this week. And if you don't know what the Common Lectionary is, it's a group of texts that have been set aside for the calendar for the year. And if you end up in a position like me where the, um, the board says, bring to us a message that God puts on your heart, and you think, boy, I need a little direction in that. And I started with Peter. And I started with that question of how does the Lord encourage Peter and what would you have me to do? And then when I read this passage, which is one of the scriptures that churches around the world are reading this morning, it was this kind of bizarre childhood Sunday school story that I remembered, thinking I, I was kind of confused when we went through this story. So if you're new to the faith, maybe it's a little confusing to you. If you've been through the church for a while, we're going to do a little bit of a Sunday school lesson. We're going to look at the life of Peter this morning. Because Peter, and don't take this personally, Peter, or anyone else who's named Peter, but we all get to step into Peter's shoes this morning. Because the scripture tells us in the Gospels um, that at this point in Matthew 17, Jesus pivots and turns towards Jerusalem. He starts to talk about his death and resurrection towards Jerusalem. And there's this account where Jesus, with the three disciples, is on the mountaintop for the Transfiguration Sunday. And traditionally, we look at this vision. It's definitely supernatural. And we look at that understanding between God the Father and the Son and Moses and Elijah, and we, we get a little confused there. But I want us to be in Peter's shoes. I'll show you that picture of Peter um, up there. Because Peter goes through this transformation through his faith and personal transformation. His faith grows. And I'd like us to consider that this morning. And I know you guys are thinking, what in the world? But let's pray anyway. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this time. Gosh, this news of Ashbury and what you're doing on the campus there. We thank you and pray just as Peter has prayed. God, do that amongst us in this county at this time in the lives of us as individuals and as a church and the other churches in this community and county that are, that are ser serving you. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So yeah, I'd like us to look at Peter. 
I'd like us to look to the life of Peter, and we will get into the passage that George read for us. And I'm just going to take us on a quick, quick tour. Do you guys remember when Jesus calls the disciples, the first one right out of the gate, Matthew chapter 4 was Peter and Andrew. And they were, te they were fishing, and Jesus called them. And they were able to experience, along with the other disciples, we'll just stick with Peter at this time, Jesus' teachings, and Jesus healing a cripple, and Jesus um, raising people from the dead. It must have been an amazing time with Jesus to go from a fisherman to spending time with Jesus. Matthew 14, just a couple chapters before our, our verses this morning, also talks about Jesus when he is with the crowds of people. No hospitals, no clinics, right? All that were brought to Jesus for physical healing, the scripture tells us, were healed. And those that brought the loved ones to Jesus were there as well. So there were crowds. I don't know what you would do if you had a family member or a sick family member and you couldn't get help, but you found out there's a guy who would heal them regardless. What would you do to bring that child or spouse or parent or somebody, your loved one, to Jesus? I think you would do anything that you could do. And that's what was happening. The crowds found out that if you could just touch this guy, if you could get close to this guy, sometimes he just speaks and people were getting healed. I think you would do everything you could to get those people to Jesus. And the scripture tells us that those people came to Jesus and he healed every one of them and then they stayed and the people were hungry. And then we have the loaves and the fishes. And we have Jesus meeting their physical needs, both in healings and in hunger. But Jesus has another agenda. And what's the larger picture of the Gospels where there is a spiritual component, right? And the disciples need to learn that as well. So after that long day, Jesus wants to have some time away, and he's going to go up and take some time of prayer. But what does he say to the disciples? He says, hey, get in the boat. You guys go across the lake back, and I'm going to join you later. And they take off on the boat, and they're out there in the evening, and Jesus prays. He needs a little time alone, which must have been overwhelming. And the scripture tells us something remarkable, that Jesus walks out to them. And I can't remember if it's the first watch or the second watch. Let's just call it at night. And they're terrified. I mean, I think we would be terrified if you saw a guy walking on the water. I mean, this is, this is crazy. This makes no sense to us. This is a supernatural thing. And the, the scripture tells us that as Jesus in 14, Jesus is walking out on the water. He says, it says in verse 27, that they think they've seen a ghost. So what's the first thing that Jesus does? He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Right? You guys remember this? Then there's Peter. Okay, so we're with Peter this morning. What's Peter do? The scripture tells us, and you guys remember this, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come. And Peter's, Peter's excited. He gets out of the boat, and he starts walking towards Jesus, and he's looking at Jesus. But then he starts to think about the wind and the waves. And he gets caught up in the moment. He takes his eyes off of Jesus, I'm assuming, and he begins to sink. And what does he say? The scripture says, oh, my gosh, Lord, save me. I, I'm so like Peter, right? I, I can jump out of the boat usually, and I've got that great energy at first, and then reality sets in really quickly. And there's Peter. Well, what does Jesus do? The scripture says that he reaches out his hands, and he takes him, and he brings him, and they both return back into the boat. 
And Jesus asked Peter in verse 31, why did you doubt? Ouch. The scripture doesn't give us Peter's answer, which I appreciate, because I think that's a better question with unanswered. And that question is easier for me. Why did you doubt? When God has asked me that question, I usually don't have an answer. I guess Peter probably didn't have an answer for this either. Why did you doubt? It's hard when you have to answer that question. So what's your personal answer this morning? Why did you doubt? Because it's always easier when someone's holding your hand, right? It's always easier when Jesus reaches out and grabs you and brings you back in the boat. It's a lot easier to make decisions in the boat with Jesus than it is out of the boat sinking. We always are willing maybe to jump out of the boat. At least I hope we are. Maybe we do it less. But Jesus says, hey, I'm here. I'm with you. Well, they get back in the boat, and there's calm waves, and then they end up back going across the lake to the shore. They get back to land. And what's waiting for them on the other side? They have a small vacation. There's a beautiful sandy beach. They have lunch. No, the scripture says the crowds were waiting for them. And more people who were sick were brought to Jesus. Did they have a good night's rest? They were through the night. And there they are back with the boats and the crowds and people needing physical healings. And the scripture tells us remarkably all who touched him were healed. Well, at this time there was a spiritual element. At least the Jewish people, the Israelites, had spiritual leaders, right? And the spiritual leaders of the day had a very important pressing question amongst all this healing, amongst all this amazing work of the Spirit. And they rushed to Jesus and they asked him one question. Do you guys remember what it was? How come your disciples don't wash their hands before lunch when they eat? I read that verse. I was like, this is such a weird concept. They weren't getting it, right? This is a control thing. Jesus is like, hey, all this amazing stuff's going on. And what you're worried about is controlling whether people wash their hands or not. You see, that wasn't the good news of the gospel. Jesus has a different agenda. All who were touched were healed. Okay, let's jump ahead a little bit. Are you with me? We're now in chapter 16. Jesus comes to the disciples amongst all the people, and he asks the disciples a question. He says, hey, 16, 15, and 16, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some say that you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. It's very recent, right? And then Jesus says, well, no, no. Who do, you, who do you say that I am? He asked the disciples that question. The first one who puts his hand up, maybe the first one to answer the question in class. You don't want to draw your, too much attention to yourself, right, if you're that first person in class that answers the question. But that's Peter. Peter says, hey, you are the Christ, the Messiah, God with us, the Son of the living God. Chapter 16, verse 17 says this, Blessed are you, Peter. This was revealed to you by God in heaven. This didn't come from you, Peter. This came from God to you, Peter. And maybe just like that first one, if you show too much uh, leadership in class, maybe you show too much wisdom in class, then you get assigned a study group or you're now supposed to take the kids outside and line them up in a straight line. I don't, I don't know. God bless you, teachers. Jesus, though, says to Simon, we call him Peter. Well, Peter means rock. He says, hey, now you are going to be called rock, the foundation. This is a big moment. You answered that question. You are now called rock. I will build 
my church on you. You get the keys to the kingdom. I used to be a missionary in Kenya and in Tanzania. I worked at a boarding school in Eldoret. Eldoret's that place in Kenya where all the long-distance runners come. They drink this thing called mersik, which is charcoal and cow's milk and blood, and it's curdled and fermented like a yogurt mix, and they drink this, and they can run amazing distances. And the school that I worked at was started by our mission, African Inland Mission, with, along with the African Inland Church. And the national church leader got Martel and Anna Fennig when they were in their early 60s. No, they were in their late 50s to start a boys' boarding school. And they did that. They worked for about 20 years. And I came along as a, as a middle 20-year-old, some British guys, and we were teaching there and having a good time along with some of the national teachers. We had a board meeting. The church chairman was called in. We were all seated around a huge dining room table, and we had lunch, beautiful lunch. About 18 months before, Martel Fennig, who had run this school for 20 years, said, hey, I'm thinking about retirement. You need to provide a national school principal, headmaster. Well, they liked Martel and Anna Jane Fennig, and they were doing a great job. And they thought, well, as long as we don't you know, get a replacement, these guys can't leave. That was the plan. Well, 18 months later, we had this board meeting, and Martel, basically, after all the school agenda was taken care of, he asked the church chairman, who's going to replace me? And he said, well, God bless you, brother. We're just doing such a great job. Thank you, and may God give you strength. That was his response. Well, Martel pulled up a box, kind of a heavy box, put it in front of him, opened the lid kind of ceremoniously, and we were all looking at him. And inside this box, he pulls out with two hands this huge cluster of keys. Imagine rings of keys on rings of keys on rings of keys. And these were the keys to every building and classroom and milkshed and kitchen and tractor and school truck and front gate and boys' lockers for the whole campus. And he put all those rings together and he picked the thing up. It was heavy. And he paused and he walked. He pushed the chair, stands up, and he walks all the way around the table to the church chairman. And he lays the keys and he kind of drops them. He put his hand on the keys and his hand on the shoulder of the chairman. And he said, Here are the keys. And he went back and took his seat again. And the church chairman was shocked. And the message was clear. And even as a 25-year-old, I got it. I got the message. And God bless the church. They found a headmaster, a godly man, the next six months. Because he said it's time for someone else to have the keys to the kingdom. And Sally and I went on and empowered national leaders. That was our model, to turn over that missionary to national leadership. And it was in that moment, I now know later, looking back, but I think God was reminding me. I'm not going to be around for forever, was Martel's message. Jesus is saying to Peter, I'm not going to be around for forever. In fact, in 17, he's already talking about going to Jerusalem for one reason, to die. And the disciples are like, mm, I, I don't think so. I, I, that's not really the way it works. Jesus is saying to Peter, you're the strong one. I'm going to build my church on you. It begins with you. 
So when Jesus starts talking about his death and resurrection, people are getting upset. You see, the gospel truth, in this moment, God's plan of reconciliation for the whole world requires Jesus going to the cross. It makes no sense to them. It makes sense to us because we get to read back into it. But if you were a disciple, if you were Peter that day, I don't think you would want Jesus to disappear either. So what does Peter do? Let's look at it, 1622. It says this. Peter took Jesus aside, I mean discreetly, probably on the side without the other disciples watching, right? That was a bold move right there, right out of the gate. Could you imagine taking Jesus aside and having a little word, settling Jesus down? Just tell him, hey, Jesus, this is not, you don't quite have the big picture here, right? He's going to set Jesus straight. He's going to gently rebuke Jesus. So Peter's intentions were good, right? Peter knew what he was doing. He loved Jesus. He saw what was going on with the people and the plan, and things were going well. Maybe they're a year and a half, two years into the ministry. Peter's like, this is working. It's going good. I'm just going to have a little word with Jesus and settle him down. I think like us most of the time, we are not aware of all the factors. We make decisions based on what's in front of us, and that's all we can do sometimes. But I think Peter, even though he meant well, was a little bit off. He's got limited information. His plan wasn't Jesus' plan, or God's for that matter. The bigger picture, right? Maybe Peter's reaction was selfish. You know, he only thought about how it would affect him personally. Or maybe he was thinking about a life without Jesus. Don't forget, he left fishing. He left his family. He left everything to be with Jesus. And now Jesus is changing the plan halfway through. But that wasn't changing the plan. It was always the plan. Peter says to Jesus, and I quote, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Well, we wouldn't be here today if that was true, right? What does Jesus do? Well, he flips the coin. Now he's got to rebuke Peter. What a bummer. And this is a serious rebuke. This is that rebuke that's like, this really hurts. Chapter, or verse 23. Jesus' response, out of my sight, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Man, you name someone the rock, and then you give them out of my sight, Satan. It's confusing for Peter. I think it's confusing for me. I'm like, what's going on? Jesus then goes on with verse 24 and says what he expects Peter and anyone else who follows Jesus to do. What does it say? If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. See, Jesus is saying to the disciples, you also need to prepare to die. That is not what Peter had in mind. Peter, the same guy that after, no, right after he gets arrested, what happens? He denies that he even knows Jesus three times. This is the same guy. So, a week later, Peter, along with James and John, those are the two brothers who used to argue who was going to be the first in the kingdom. These three get a special invite to go up the hill, right? Just six days later after Jesus' rebuke. Okay, Matthew 17, 1. Thank you, George. You got us there. That was a long introduction, but the second half is much quicker. Stay with me. We're still Peter. Be like Peter. Matthew 17, 1. Tells us it's just them, without the crowds, without the other disciples, they go up 
to the people, uh, up to the mountain. And what does the scripture say? Jesus was transformed. Metamorphosis in Greek. There is a complete change that they see. And this word's only used once other time in the gospel and, and Mark, where Matthew got it. And then there's two other passages we're going to look at here in a second. Jesus' face shone like the sun. This is just like Moses' face, right? When he came down from the mountain. Do you guys remember that? Or if he was in the tent of meeting and he had to put a veil on his face. See, this is language that was, was used only for angels and heavenly beings. This is Jesus in the divine clearly on display for Peter, James, and John. It must have been an amazing sight, right? To see Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Those who went straight to heaven, the scripture tells us, they did not stop. They just went straight. And there they were in all their glory. Okay, verse 4 and 5, Matthew 17. Peter gets a little confused. He says, hey, this is really good. Glad that we're here. He wants to do something. He's trying to be practical. Maybe he was asking that question inside again. What would you have me to do, Lord? Right, Jesus? What, what's going to be my response? Maybe I should build three huts. Maybe everybody should get a tent. He was confused, but he was trying to be practical. I think Peter was being Peter. And in verse 6, it says this. God's voice from heaven, from a cloud, just like the mountain with Moses, where we hear God's affirmation of Jesus. The same as the baptism. And what does it say? One who is loved. He affirms Jesus. And he adds something after the baptism account. He says for the disciples, listen to Jesus. This is my son who I am well pleased. Listen to him. And that word listen means really listen. Pay attention. It also means obey in the Greek. You're not listening to this guy, I think God was saying. Well, fair enough, Peter, James, and John, their response, because this is the voice of the Lord, right? Listen to Jesus. The disciples were scared. Verses 7 and 8. I think all of us would do this. They fell to the ground in fear and trembling. They were there. God's voice. This is Jesus. And then Jesus does what he always does. He comforts them. He reaches out with a touch. He physically touches them and says, get up. Don't be afraid. And that is kind of the end of the vision. That's the end of the divine. Maybe it's Jesus as we know him or as the disciples knew him at that point. And the four of them are back together again, having experienced this amazing thing where they saw Jesus transformed. And what does the scripture say? They went down the hill. They went back to reality. They went back to the crowds and the people and the politics and the taxes and the schedule, trying to figure out how to feed people and heal people and all the reality of that. But these three disciples had this amazing experience. Verse 22 and 23. Jesus again lays out the gospel message, and he says this, I will be betrayed. They will kill the Son of Man and on the third day be raised to life. What was the disciples' response? They were filled with joy? No. They were filled with grief. This is not good news to them. This is horrible. It's not going to plan. And that's how we respond oftentimes, I think, to the Lord. Life of our faith, it's ups and downs. Sometimes it's not all great, right? Sometimes we have to wait years 
before Ashbury situation comes along and the spirit moves amongst his people. May it not be the case, but oftentimes it is. Peter can't believe it. He's talking about death again. But this is right after Jesus saw him transformed like the sun. You see, I think God's more interested in this moment with Peter being transformed himself. Peter has to get it. Peter has to figure it all out. He wants Peter to lead the church. He wants Peter to be God's witness to the church. He's got a bigger plan for Peter. Peter just doesn't see the whole picture yet. Okay, the other two times that this transformed word has been used, you guys know the passages. I'll read them for you. Romans 2, 12. Listen to this. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. Metamorphosis. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, Jesus told Peter, do you have the mind and the things of God or the things of men? You see, Peter was supposed to consider what God would have him to do. And the scripture tells Peter and all of us, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Stop thinking like the world. Stop thinking about your personal agenda and try to get the bigger picture and see what's going on. Okay, that's what's called sanctification. I know, it's such a like, we throw that word around, sanctification. We're all holy. The Lord loves you. The scripture is pretty clear about that. And God so loved the world. We are loved. We're forgiven. We're blessed. We're encouraged. We've received grace in our lives for those of us who have a, a personal relationship with Christ. And that's available to everyone who is there. And God says, you know what? You can accept and follow me. You can be a disciple like Peter. But I have some work to do in your life. I've got work to do, in fact, until your last breath on earth. You get to go through this process called sanctification. Wow. I'm like, that's a bummer, right? I don't want to do that. I just want the ticket, punch it, and then I'm good. I put it in my pocket, and I'll wait till Jesus comes. But I think this is saying, no, we need to do more than that. We need to become more and more like Christ and be open to the, to the idea that maybe we don't fully get it. Maybe we're still operating selfishly, and we have a little bit more to learn not only in our faith, but how to love those around us. Back to Valentine's Day. And it's going to take our whole lives, unfortunately. And it took Peter's whole life. That's what it means. Okay, the second passage. Ready? 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's the only other time this passage is used, this word, that transformation. You see, it's the Spirit in our lives. It's the Spirit that keeps pointing us over and over into the right directions. It's the Spirit who, through us, guides us to make those decisions and to make those choices and to keep answering that question, what would you have me to do? Peter, like all of us, has to experience this in his own faith as well over time. Because Jesus knows the end game. Jesus knows what's coming. Poor Peter doesn't. Peter's at this point, is kind of clueless. He wants to make tents on top of a mountain. But Jesus knows there's a bigger picture. 
And Jesus has to experience God's spirit working through him as well. And that brings me to Acts chapter 9 and 10, which I was like, Lord, why was in this passage on Tuesday in Acts 9 and 10? I don't get it. Well, in Acts 9, it says that Jesus, sorry, it says that Peter, through the Holy Spirit, heals a paralytic man. And right after that, just like Jairus' daughter, when Peter was with Jesus and Jesus healed a cripple or a beggar who was paralytic, he said, pick up your mat and walk. Guess what happens in Acts chapter 9? Peter says to this man, pick up your mat and walk, and he does. And then they say, hey, 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 come, come, come. There's this woman. Her name is Tabitha, also called Dorcas. I think Tabitha's better. Uh, Dorcas, bless you. Okay, anyway, Tabitha dies, and the people say to Peter, hey, Tabitha died. And Peter's like, okay, I'll check it out. And they started laughing at him. And he goes there. And he goes up to the upper room, and there's all these people wailing and crying. He says, hey, hey, you got to get out. you got to leave. It's just like Jesus. And Peter gets on his knees, and he says, Lord, do your thing. And God does. And he takes her hand, and he, she opens her eyes, and she gets up. And people are amazed, and the gospel spreads. And Peter gets to experience exactly what he experienced two years before, three years before, with Jesus. But now he's not with Jesus. But he's with the Spirit of Jesus. He's with God's Spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit working through him, just like when God revealed words through him. Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to Peter, and Peter had to experience it. Chapter 10 rolls around, and there's this vision that Peter has, and the vision is this. He has this dream about animals and eating, and the sh they're like, is this clean or unclean? And Jesus says to Peter, hey, don't call something unclean that I've made clean. In fact, I want you to talk to the Gentiles about the gospel, so go to this man, go to this man's house. And he's like, what? The church is for everybody? Not just for the Jew. I don't, this is amazing. Same Peter. He didn't have the full picture. He didn't get it yet. I mean, you got, you got to honor his spirit. But he hadn't had the full picture yet. That's what transformation is. The spirit continuing to work in our lives and doing what he's going to do. In this moment, what does that mean for you? What's the answer to that question? In this season of our lives, in this season for this church, what would you have us to do, Lord? Jesus once asked Peter if he loved him, and you know what his response was. Well, what was, well, Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus asked Peter, what? Peter, if you love me, he says, feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. And that's exactly what Peter ends up doing in his life, if you look at the whole picture. He leads the church. This is his testimony. I'll read it for you. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. We also have a prophetic message as something completely reliable. And you will do well to pay attention to it. This is what Peter is saying to the church. Just like God said to Peter on the mountain. As to the light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Amen? 
You see, God knew exactly what he was doing on top of the mountain because he knew there was going to be a time for the church needed to hear that exact testimony that this is reliable. The good news is good news. So what about you? Are you like Peter? What's your response? And can you ask God that question? What would you have me to do? What are you willing to give up? And what are you willing to do to listen, to really listen, to spend time in the Word and time in prayer and to listen to the Spirit amongst the body of Christ? What would you have me to do, Lord? We're not perfect, right? But by God's grace, we can be transformed in the renewing of our minds and our lives to be more and more like Christ. And to answer that question with confidence, what would you have me to do, Lord? Because we know, without a doubt, that God's Spirit, just like he was with Peter, is with each one of us. Amen? I'm going to ask the band to come up and get us and lead us in worship. And I'm going to give us a benediction through a passage in Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And you guys know this passage, many of you, but receive it as a blessing from the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from ourselves, yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Amen and amen. amen. Search the world. 